Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. All right, my first um, my first item of business is a question for you to answer on the text line. So that number is 877-933-2484. Do you have an empty Bed Bath & Beyond store that has been already replaced by something? Like, is there already something back in there? If so, I want to know what's in there. So Bed Bath & Beyond um, stores have been auctioned off as a part of the bankruptcy proceedings. I have an empty one near me. There's nothing in it yet. But listen to all this cool stuff that's happening across the country. There are indoor pickleball courts, trampoline parks, bowling alleys, um, in addition to companies like Burlington, Michaels, Barnes & Noble, Ollie's Bargain Outlet, with which I am not familiar, Macy's, Home Goods, other chains um, replacing Bed Bath & Beyond stores, and some conversation um, about um, Overstock.com, which actually bought Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, maybe some of it is going to, some of them are going to be like, you know, like physical locations for Overstock.com. I don't know. Anyway, kind of fun stuff. I want to know if there is something in your formerly Bed Bath & Beyond store. If so, could you text me? 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. This is like Carmen's national reconnaissance mission to find out what's happening out there. All right. Um, how much has the world changed in the past 51 days? 51 days. What's happened in your life in the last 51 days? You need a date on the calendar uh, to mark that? That would be October the 7th. Mm-hmm. What has happened in the world? What has happened in your life? In the last 51 days, Abigail Eden was three years old 51 days ago, and now she is four. And she spent those 51 days in captivity. After crawling out from under the body of her father, who was shot and killed, protecting her from Hamas terrorists. How much has the world changed in the past 51 days? Little little uh, historical exercise for us here. How much has the world changed in the past 51 months? Mm-hmm. 51 months ago was August of 2019. <laughs> wow. Um, 51 months ago. Doesn't seem like maybe that long uh, a stretch of time, right? 51 days doesn't seem that long. That's just a couple of months. 51 months? August 2019. Is that right? Maybe that's 51 weeks. I don't know. You know, my math is so bad. I might have to go back and do this again. Uh, Let me just do it this way. August 2019, um, President Donald Trump was impeached, acquitted, lost his bid for re-election. I mean, since then, in in in, in the subsequent months, Hong Kong protest, the Abraham Accords were signed. 
China landed on the dark side of the moon. Wildflower, wildflowers, wildfires destroyed much of Brazil's Amazon rainforest. Oh, yeah, we could actually go down a list of historic um, weather events. COVID, let's not forget that in the past 51 months, we've been through COVID. The U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan. The Taliban returned to power. Ethiopia's civil war got much worse. Lebanon basically became a failed state. Russia invaded Ukraine. All of this in the last 51 months. The world entered into a genuine migration crisis. 32 million people living as refugees. Iran's nuclear program advanced. Protests erupted um, in relationship to the death of Masa Amini, killed for failing to properly cover her face. You remember all this? How about January 6th? That's been in the last 51 months. How about 51 years? That'd be 1972. How much has the world changed since 1972? Oh, I should have included in the list of what happened in the past 51 months. Roe Roe v. Wade was overturned. If you go back 51 years, there was no such thing yet as Roe v. Wade. (laughs) The Supreme Court agreed 51 years ago to hear a case that would become known as Roe v. Wade. 51 years ago. There were anti-British riots in Ireland, and Britain took over direct control of Northern Ireland. That's that's 51 years. Arab terrorists murdered 11 people at the Olympic Games. The Duke of Windsor died. U.S. President Richard Nixon visited China. The SALT Agreement was signed. How about 51 decades ago? 51 decades ago would be the year 1513. Yeah, that's some 200 years before the United States of America would even become a nation. How about 51 centuries ago? That would take us back to more than 3,000 years prior to the birth of Christ. How was the world different then? People were building ziggurats and temples along the Euphrates River. Polo was invented in what we now call India. Stonehenge began to take shape. There were major political changes in Egypt as Narmer, also known as Minas, unified the upper and lower parts of Egypt into one country. And in Mesopotamia, well, people started writing things down for the very first time. We regard it as the year that writing was invented, which means that history began to be recorded in ways that we could know today. 51 seconds. 51 minutes. 51 hours, 51 days. The world turns, time moves forward. 51 days from now, it will be January 16th, 2014. 51 weeks from now, we will be past the 2024 election. 51 months from now, we'll be past the next cycle of the presidency. 51 years from now, it will be the year 2074. And it will still be the year of the Lord. In fact, 51 centuries from now, 7,123 will still be the year of the Lord. Time is something that um, we take for granted and we waste a lot of, but it is precious. Nobody maybe knows that better than the hostages who are being released and their families who are receiving them. 58 have been released so far, 11 more set to be released today. We're going to take that up next with our friend Elizabeth Newman. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Our friend Elizabeth Newman is back. She's a security analyst. She works with the Moonshot Group. You can find her at moonshotteam.com. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Carmen. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Oh, gobble, gobble. I had a great Thanksgiving. How about you? <laughs> we had a good time with family. It was it was really nice to see everybody. So nice. I love the I I love the reunion component of it. It's always a little bit um like happy and chaotic. Um, yeah. It's good. It's yeah. good. You have to embrace the chaos. It is a part yes. of the holiday. Yeah, for sure. And we're still eating pie at my house. So I don't know. Oh. I, sure, I mean, I set out pie for breakfast for the people in the house before I came out to the studio. I'll be, I'll be over a little <laughs> later. I didn't get enough pie. <laughs> Everyone should have pie. Oh, all right. Um, all right. So there are some celebrations underway among um, some families, although many, many other families still uh, anxiously awaiting and the hopeful return of their family members. Talk with us about this hostage negotiation, the releases that have taken place so far, um, what we anticipate unfolding in the days ahead. So um, first, this is wonderful, wonderful news for those that have been released. Um, the uh, there was a quote I saw over the weekend that says, this is a drop of joy in a sea of sadness. And mm. and I think that is right. I, we, we should absolutely cherish the joy and somehow also hold the sadness in the midst of this um, because there, there is still, there are still people being held that need to be released. There are people that perhaps we don't know yet, might not make it back. Um, continued over the weekend, uh, you saw the, the governments, uh, or you saw the Israeli government and Hamas um, fighting over which hostages were going to be released. And then um, there were a couple of times when Israel thought a person would be released and they weren't released and they don't know why. So there's just, there's a lot of confusion. You can imagine for the families hoping that their loved one is the one being released. Um, it's a, it's a roller coaster for them. So um, it, the, the maybe silver lining um, bright spot is it does seem like they, both sides are willing to extend the pause to be able to exchange more prisoners um, uh, for, sorry, I should say hostages and prisoners. Um, Israel is releasing Palestinian prisoners in order to receive the hostages. So um, that seems like a bit of good news. Um, and uh, uh, unless something has happened this morning, um, uh, uh, the national security official, John Kirby, was saying that we're still waiting on about seven to 10 Americans who are being held by Hamas. And they're hoping that some of them might be released right later today. But that's still some something to keep in your prayers. We still have Americans that are uh, being held hostage. Uh, I do. I am maybe encouraged by those who have been released being in relatively good health. I did find it disturbing that the 13-year-old girl um, was who was released, her mom was not released with her, which apparently had been, you know, part of the deal if they were going to release a minor, that that minor's uh, mother, if also in captivity, would be released. So I just think there are so many storylines to this that we're going to continue to discover and unfold. Um, I'll just also confess, Elizabeth, I am... Um, I my Jewish friends are sharing social media with me that would not maybe ordinarily spring up on my feed. Sure. Um, and the testimonies about what happened on October the 7th that are not being talked about publicly. And so many of the details we, we could not say out loud here on, you know, morning drive time Christian radio where there's little ears listening. 
Um, mm-hmm. Horrific, horrific things happened, particularly to women. Um, yes. And um, and it, can you can you help me understand why there there isn't more advocacy for the Israeli women on behalf of you know pro women people around the world? I, I don't get it. Yeah, that's a, that's a, such a great question, and I don't know that I can explain it other than um, what we talked about previously. That I I just think that there's a spiritual aspect to what is happening that is unexplainable um, by human logic. I, I think Satan hates the Jewish people, and he uses other human beings to inflict um, pain and anguish um, on. Uh, God's chosen people. And um, aside from that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop calling out that hypocrisy. Um, Certainly, anytime there is conflict, children and women are the most vulnerable uh, to horrific, um, uh, excruciating war crimes. War war crimes. Yes. Thank you. Um, And and this is no different from other places around the globe that are also experiencing um, uh, significant conflict, uh, and mm-hmm. and we should we should be remembering all of them, all of the women and the mm-hmm. the children that are caught in the middle um, and being abused. Um, but yes, I, I agree with you. Like there does seem to be some hypocrisy and and forgetting. Um, uh, you know, where, where are the feminist voices <laughs> arguing for women's rights um, in the middle of of this tragedy? Um, when the, and it, it's hard, right? Like there there are also um, tragedies to be spoken of on the Palestinian side, um, mm-hmm. which are Hamas's fault. It's not Israel's fault. It's Hamas's fault. Um, but, but people are still uh, suffering. We can't. Like, it's so hard, right? That's that's so hard. And um, I think those are the conversations that I am having, particularly over this past weekend with college students who, you know, I had the privilege of being with um, and young adults who they're not listening to Christian radio. They're not listening to mainstream media. They're getting their news from their social media feeds, um, mostly from TikTok. And they, you know, they say, well, you know, Israel's being required to release three of its hostages for, you know, every one person that Hamas took hostage. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Palestinians being released by Israel are not hostages. Like, and so, I mean, there's just so much misinformation out there and people just lap it up. And so um, it's a, I think we have to keep our heads about us. That is hard for me. I'll just confess. I tend to respond to people who spew, um, spew lies. I tend to respond but pretty um, energetically. And I am learning, I'm having to learn to say, well, oh, wow, that's really curious. You know, like, where did you get that information from? Like, where where are you getting that information? Because then I can say, well, okay, so actually, you know, the the people that are being released by Israel are people who have been incarcerated in Israel for having, um, you know, perpetrated some kind of crime. So, it's a, been an interesting, you know, these are people who are in jail or in prison. And so being released um, to the West Bank, uh, in actually in the West Bank. And I mean, we talk about then, well, the difference with the West Bank and Gaza, like that's an education component piece to all of this as well. And then who are the Palestinians and what what does that mean historically in relationship to the United Nations and the 
um, the carving out of the nation of Israel after the Second World War when nobody wanted the Jews. Like it's a the whole thing is a history lesson and you have to just keep repeating it and you have to be willing to say it over and over and over and over and over again because every person that you meet has probably lapped up some set of lies about the whole thing. True. Uh, so true. And um, I, I would add to it, I think there's uh, we're dealing with a um, a generational shift. We're dealing with uh, the, the shift of um, news being atomized instead of coming from places that do journalistic uh, standards and reporting. And, um, and, and there's multiple factors at play here that lead to this moment where it's actually really difficult for all of us to have the same set of facts. And, um, and it's, I, I don't know that we as a society, it's not a new problem. We've been dealing with this for at least five to 10 years now, but I, I don't know that we've figured out how to work through it without just getting mad at each other. So the question that you asked, um, tell me more about that. And where did you get that information? That's really important to ask questions, um, especially of younger generations. Uh, they, uh, well, I, youth is always um, predisposed to think that they've got it all figured out, but um, there are some, uh, there's some data that's come out that suggests that they believe that they have it figured out more so than previous generations did. Uh, mm. So there's, there are other factors at play that actually make this conversation really hard. So it is, um, but it is definitely something that we, the church need to engage in with patients um, and invitation to to be curious and learn more and hear from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you were uh, trying to travel in, um, particularly in Western New York on Wednesday of um, Thanksgiving weekend, or if you were watching news outlets on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, um, then you know there was lots of conversation about a fatal crash that took place in Niagara Falls. Um, we now know uh, it, it took the lives of a married couple, Kurt and Monica, Monica Villani, both 53. Um, their vehicle went airborne and crashed into uh, a security checkpoint on the American side of the Rainbow Bridge. There was lots of speculation. What in the world happened? We're going to talk uh, next with Elizabeth Newman here about how we um, what we learned maybe about holding our fire in relationship to who did what, when and where, when something happens um, and we have a heightened uh, sense of uh, of alertness to terrorism. So that's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I mean, seriously, if all we had was nothing more than feelings, we would just be lost in a sea of mush. Hello, friend. Uh, I'm sure you have noticed by now that feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. Our feelings are affected by the weather, world events, what we ate last night, whether or not someone we like or love texted or tagged us in a social post, how badly someone else sings. Yeah. mm -hmm. So if you're feeling lonely right now, I want you to ask yourself, am I really ever truly alone? Of course not. As a follower of Christ, Jesus promises to be with you always. He's literally with you right now in the thick of it, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're dealing with in your life. So I want to be a source of hope and encouragement to you today. If you are struggling to make it, even just to the next moment, if you're feeling lonely, text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484.
Our friend Elizabeth Newman is here from Moonshot Group. Um, She's a security analyst. All right, Elizabeth, we now know so much more, and yet we still don't know everything, but we know so much more um, about what happened at the Rainbow Bridge, the U.S. side of the Canadian border at Niagara Falls. Um, But in, in the period of time between when the crash occurred and when we found out that it was this U.S. married couple, there was a whole lot of speculation and things went went whirling in the direction of, you know, this is a terrorist attack. Talk with us about, um, you know, like sort of reserving judgment until we know all the facts. Yeah, I mean, I, I ended up kind of interwoven in this uh, kind of personally. I got a phone call uh, shortly before we were supposed to go to the airport and um, it, I do uh, I support ABC News um, as a, a security contributor. And they were like, can you go on standby? And I said, no, I really can't. We're supposed to be getting in the car for the airport. And um, they said, okay, um, we might still call you back and put you on the phone because they can put you on uh, camera or they can put you on the phone. And they only use the phone if it's like really, really bad. Something horrible has happened and they're just trying to, to get as many people on on as possible. And there's two roles of it, of what I do. One is you fill airtime air while the reporters are trying to figure out what the facts are. And when I took that role, I got trained. I got trained on what I could say and what I couldn't say. Um, I got trained to know how to read our reporters reporting to know when something is an initial report and when it has been approved by standards to be able to be reported on. And ABC is one of the more conservative, um, uh, journalistically, I don't mean uh, ideologically, but uh, journalistically. Slower to speak. Thank you. They're slower (laughs) to speak. Um, And that uh, I've learned a lot from watching that because um, you're watching their reporters get multiple sources to confirm things. So we spooled up, we prepared, and then uh, within an hour, we started to spool down and I was busy getting to the airport. And then all of a sudden I start getting texts from friends who are like, oh my gosh, there's been a terrorist attack. And I'm like, no, that's that's not what I'm seeing. Um, and I called somebody, a friend at the White House, I called um, a friend in New York and every the official people, my my friends are saying, no, this is fooling down. Um, it looks like a very tragic accident. Meanwhile, the, that's not what you were seeing on social media. It was spooling up. Um, and I think this is an important lesson for us because we're going to go into an election year and there are going to be politicians that are looking to try to get attention and they're going to use whatever moment that it happens to be present uh, to get that attention. And, and in fact, in the, this particular case, we had 12 Republicans uh, declared it a terrorist attack and were uh, bemo- using it to talk about uh, st- needing stronger border security, um, which, by the way, like these people were coming from the U.S., right? They weren't coming from Canada into the U.S. They were inside the United States going to Canada. So even that piece of the puzzle was not clear at the beginning and they just assumed an explosion on the bridge must mean the worst case scenario and oh joe biden's at fault um and i think we would all be um uh, wise to take a beat when an incident is happening um and don't use social media as your primary (laughs) 
news source, uh, realize that's um, going to be difficult to break for younger generations. But um, there are journalistic out outfits, Reuters, AP, uh, The Dispatch. Um, uh, um, I, obviously, I work for ABC News. I think they have good journalistic standards. Um, most of the the networks, CBS, uh, NBC, have those strong standards, um, and they triple check things before they run it on air. So let's all take deep breaths when these moments happen and know that, hey, the way the system is set up, our politicians are going to exaggerate and they're going to hyperbolize and everything is an existential threat. Um, I wish they would stop that. I think it's bad behavior. I uh, don't think that's indicative of good leadership, but I don't think they're going to change. So it's really incumbent upon us to be wise and where we're getting our information and to not uh, lean into the hyperbole and the drama, but let's stick to the facts, um, especially in this next year that we're going into. Yeah. So important. So important. Um, speaking of the next year, maybe the next time we talk, we can kind of look at next year. Um, uh, I am aware that I'm aware that next year, more than half of the people on the planet live in countries that will hold nationwide elections in 2024. Um, so maybe the next time we talk, we could talk about next year and um, the fact that, you know, people are going to be going to the polls to elect national leadership around the world. And, and maybe maybe your thoughts on that um, as we forecast forward. Could we do that the next time we talk? Yes, it'll give me time to, you know, mentally, emotionally prepare for the anxiety that I feel when I think about that. Yeah, Britain, Bangladesh, India, Indonesia, the United States, you know, lots lots of places. All right, um, Elizabeth, we love talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Elizabeth Newman. You can follow her on what was Twitter is now X at N-E-U Summits. So Newman, N-E-U and then Summits, S-U-M-M-I-T-S. Um, she's also with the Moonshot Group and you can find them at moonshotteam.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. So um, it is happening. I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but it is happening. The lights are going up. Not the lights at my house, because when we started plugging in um, those strings of lights yesterday to put them up, um, a significant percentage of them didn't work. But lights are going up. Our neighbor Jeremy rented a lift to put the lights up on his house on Saturday, and I am a little bit jealous uh, in Topsfield, Massachusetts, there is a Christmas light display that's already receiving national attention with more than 100,000 individual lights as a part of the display. Um, there's a lot going on, lots of lights going up. What is it about lights and Christmas? Maybe you went to a Christmas tree lighting over the weekend. Maybe you lit your own Christmas tree. Author Emily Hunter McGowan is going to join us next. We're going to talk about Christmas, the season of light. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're going to make a new friend today. Her name is Emily, Emily Hunter McGowan. She is Today, coming to us as the author of Christmas, The Season of Light. But Emily's got a lot going on in her life, so we want to get to know her today as we talk about um, this book. Emily, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's good to be with you. 
Okay, it's really fun to have you. Um, first of all, I need to know a little bit about the Anglican Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, because that is the sure. greatest diocese name I have ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> yes, I, I've heard that it's kind of a mouthful too, but I I, I do appreciate it. Um, we are a church planting diocese in the Anglican Church uh, of North America, and so we have churches across the country, all of which are are new plants. Um through our the leadership of our bishop Todd Hunter. Okay, so um, now yeah, now I'm going to provoke the question: Why do we need new churches? I mean, you know, aren't there aren't there an Emily? Aren't there enough churches? There just seems like there's churches everywhere. Why do we need to plant new churches? It's true, and there is certainly good work and ministry to be done in already established churches. At the same time, uh, there are many places, especially for us that in the Anglican tradition, that don't have. Um, Anglican worship, and we think that this this way of worship, the Anglican way of of life, can be very meaningful as people try to follow Jesus today. And it can also be very um, useful for evangelism. There, there's something mm-hmm. about the rootedness in the tradition of the church that I think speaks to contemporary people, especially young people. And new churches, I think, are often best equipped to to do that kind of outreach. So as people. Um come to Jesus, as they um, come to faith, as they Mm -hmm. begin to follow him, um, one of the things that they are invited into is a different calendar, like, right, the church calendar. And so as we approach the season of Advent, which, you know, some of us recognize as the beginning of the calendar year for the church, but other people, like, they they just know it as the time that everybody around America puts up their lights and starts buying presents. Can you talk a little bit? Well, can you talk a little bit about your own experience, maybe as a child, in terms of of Christmas, and then why it's important to you to introduce us and invite us into Advent? Yeah, so I grew up in a very secular household. We did not go to church. Christmas was was certainly a, a special holiday, but m- mainly for secular reasons. I always had this sense that there was something more, but never never really was exposed to it until I was a teenager. I became a Christian in a Southern Baptist church, and um, at that time didn't know what the church calendar was. It took many years uh, further for me to be introduced. But one of the things I love that Jerome Berryman says in the Godly Play curriculum is that the mystery of Christmas along with the mystery of Easter, these are these two great mysteries of the Christian faith. And it takes time to get ready to approach them. There, if you if you go too fast, you might miss it. And um, over the years, Advent has become a season to prepare oneself to approach the mystery of Christmas. Now, originally, Advent was meant to look forward to the second coming of Christ, to anticipate a final judgment, God making the world right. But it's also, I think, a way to to get prepared for for the coming of Christ in the incarnation. Talk with us. Um, I love this language of preparing to approach. Um, yeah. And I think of all the ways that, as you know, as a as a part of the rhythm of Christmas, we're preparing. We're preparing our homes. We're preparing our lists. We're preparing our travel plan. We're preparing all these things. But are we preparing to approach the nativity? Can you, I love in the introduction, um, and again, we're talking uh, about the book, Christmas, the season of life and light. It's a part of the Fullness of Time series. We're talking with Emily Hunter McGowan, 
Um, in the introduction, you talk about the physical approach to you know what what is celebrated as the place of the nativity in in Bethlehem today, and there's a physical there's a physical experience of doing it. That's right. Yeah, if you go to the actual spot that tradition says is the place where Mary gave birth to Jesus, there's a lot of things you have to do. You're, I have never, unfortunately, been myself, but I've been told that it's a long, winding way to get down to the grotto. Uh, and if you physically want to touch the spot, you have to crouch and and put your hand out uh, to touch the the place where Jesus was, according to tradition, born. And I think it's a good metaphor. Um while while all the like you said the the menus are being prepared and gifts are being purchased and plans are being made that we ought to also be preparing our hearts and our minds and our bodies to approach what god has done in christ uh to come amongst us i think there should be a small door in the, like we have these massive church doors today on the fronts of our buildings you know there're these big doors but there should be a little door like in in the well in the churches in in is in Israel like that you're talking about like you there's a lot of crouching down there's a lot of bending low to get into places and it could just be that we're a whole lot taller than people were then mm-hmm. like that's totally possible maybe we're bigger but there is just a lot of getting down low and that was true in um in in churches in other parts of um uh of Europe as the you know as Christianity moves westward there there's always a little door somewhere and right. sometimes it's in the big door and so I'm like thinking to myself I maybe we need some smaller doors maybe we cuz we need some crouching down so talk about the physical <laughs> like well yeah. not all of us I mean you know you mentioned you know coming to Christ in a southern baptist church there's no there's no um getting on your knees there's no physical that's not happening um those mm-hmm. physical rhythms but that is happening, my guess is, in the Anglican Church of which you are now a part. It's obviously happening among our Orthodox and Roman Catholic friends. Talk with us about some of that. Like, there's some there's some physical um, expression related to the rhythms of what you introduce us to in this book. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the one of things that the Anglican tradition and other liturgical traditions can offer, especially those of a more evangelical uh, persuasion is the recognition that we are embodied people and that God wants to teach us through our bodies as well as through our minds and our hearts and that our body, mind, and heart are connected. And so gestures like kneeling, like laying prostrate, like crossing ourselves, like uh, standing and sitting, these are all part of training our bodies to respond with the right feelings, even when you don't feel the feelings, sometimes the gesture itself can actually teach you to feel the right things, to think in the right ways. Not always, of course, it's not automatic, it's not a magic trick, but uh, our body's involvement and discipleship is really important. And so simply being at church, kneeling when you're invited to pray, standing when you're invited to hear the word, these are the kinds of things that help to disciple us uh, better, I think, in the way of Jesus by the Spirit's power. Um, I want to I want to pivot and have a difficult conversation because you know all, Christmas is joyous and wonderful and hard. Um, yeah, and the reason we need light is because of so much darkness. And so, um, one of the reflections that you offer um, is 
Christmas in the year 2012. Um, mm-hmm. And just 10 days before the start of Christmas, so again, the start of Christmas is a good conversation to have, um, mm-hmm. was the Sandy Hook Elementary School Massacre in Newtown, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, talk with us a little bit about gathering with other people, um, particularly in times of deep darkness and um, the the goodness of the news that the light shines. Right. Yeah. So one of the things I point out is that anytime these types of events happen, there's always candlelight and there's always some sort of singing happening. And it, it seems like this is one of the things that Christians do. And it can seem so small in the face of so much evil and destruction and suffering. And yet there's a kind of stubborn insistence, (laughs) stubborn resistance to the darkness when we light candles, when we gather together, when we sing, that says that the darkness doesn't have the last word, that, that there is in fact hope in Christ, and that even when we can't see it, we can't see how all things are being made new, that that is in fact what God is doing by his spirit. And so I, I think there's something really valuable about that, that again, physical action, gathering together, holding hands, lighting candles, and singing. It's a way that we protest the evils of this world and say, this is not the end. Uh, Darkness doesn't win. Christ does. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment with Emily Hunter McGowan. The book is Christmas, the Season of Life and Light. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving uh, around the world? I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope? beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps. How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. All right, we don't know how much uh, people are going to spend today on Cyber Monday, but we do know that people spent more than $10 billion on uh, just online shopping um, on Black Friday. And so when we talk about Christmas, um, we are talking about a season of getting for a lot of folks. um, But it is first and foremost a season of giving when God... um, gives his son in the person of Jesus. He takes on flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth. Before Jesus can go to the cross, he's got to come in bodily form. He comes in um, in the form of a human being, uh, born of a, a woman named Mary in a place called Bethlehem. Real people living in a real place at a real time in human history. We call it Christmas. It is the Christ Mass. Uh, Here to talk with us about it today is Emily Hunter McGowan. The book is Christmas, The Season of Life and Light. Let's talk about Christ Mass. Most of us don't call it Christ Mass, but that's what it is. 
It is. Yes. Uh, the mass there, of course, is is from the days of the medieval church. Uh, it's referring to the the worship, the liturgy of the church. And so one of the things I encourage folks in my book and elsewhere is, yes, keep the Christ in Christmas, but let's also keep the mass in Christmas. Uh, worship is part of our, our life as Christians, and it's important that we gather together uh, at these times. You seem like a very cool person. Is it okay for me to just like say that out loud? Like, I will take it. I my kids I'm would like. I wish I lived closer. It. I like feel like I would be your friend. I don't know if you'd want to be my friend, but I would like. I'm like. I really like her. Yeah. Okay. You're. You don't think your kids would say so? No. I mean, I've got a 14, 13, and 10 oh, year old. Mm, they do not think mm-hmm, I'm cool. Yes. Yes. Well, there you go. You can tell them that somebody else thinks you're cool. Other people I will think I'm cool. There you go. Carmen says I'm um, cool. There you go. Carmen says I'm cool. Um, so um, I want to talk a little bit about the rhythm of the Christian year. I know that uh, the calendar, the uh, because a lot of people would be familiar maybe with Advent, this season of preparation for then the season of Christmas. So I'm going to talk about the fact that Christmas is a season. It's not a day. It actually starts on the day we call Christmas, Christ Mass, but it goes on from there. Can we can we talk about that? Yes, I would love to. So the 12 days of Christmas from the song are What? Actually, it's not just a song? What? It's not just a song. Blowing it's, our it's minds. <laughs> from January, I'm sorry, from December 25th through January 6th is the Christmas season. Christmas tide is another word for it. And it really does span those 12 days. It's meant to be all 12 days observed as the season of Christmas. So a lot of folks think that the 12 days are counting down to Christmas, but it's not. It's That is from December 25th through January 6th, at least on the Western calendar. So you have an excuse then to continue to party. <laughs> the 25th is not the the only day of Christmas. You have 12 days. And so you can make special items you can still gather for parties. You can leave your tree and your decorations up longer if you want to, uh, because that's that is in fact the Christmas season. It um, it was established back in the sixth century, so this is very old, um, and we can certainly observe it for for longer than the commercial calendar tells us that that we do. So uh, one of the things that is a part of this book, Christmas, the Season of Life and Light, if you turn to the back of it, um, you will see these scriptures and these collects um, for Christmas tide. And so let me just read as we as we close our conversation today with Emily Hunter McGowan. Um, the book is Christmas, the Season of Life and Light. It's the Fullness of Time series. Let me just read um, the prayer for the first Sunday after Christmas Day. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. What a gift. What a gift, Emily, to meet you today. Um, Thank you for the gift of this beautiful book. Thank you for the brevity of it. Thank you for the resources um, that it contains. Um, I feel like it's a wonderful companion for our Advent and Christmas journey. I hope so. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's Emily Hunter McGowan. She teaches 
um, uh, theology um, and and at Wheaton, I should say where. Um, and she is a part of um, this wonderful group of people that has put together this Fullness of Time series. And so we'll probably walk through the remainder of the Fullness of Time series as the Christmas, or as the Christmas, as the Christian year unfolds. So we will look forward beyond Advent and Christmas to um, to Lent and Easter and Pentecost. And so um, so thank you, Emily, for getting us uh, started today. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So when we think about the um, the exchanges that are made, um, I want you to think about the Christmas exchange. I want you to think about the exchange that um, you intend to make maybe with friends, like maybe you're going to a cookie exchange, maybe you're making plans for a gift exchange, maybe you're planning on exchanging all the gifts you get on Christmas, on the day after. I don't know. Um, There is this exchange that takes place in the person of Christ where God condescends. I mean, this God, fully God, condescends to human form, exchanging the glory of heaven for the humility of the human life. That's a tremendous exchange, exchanging the the company, the, the full company of the Trinity, like that Jesus has been a part of since, well, since ever was forever and ever, like from eternity past, Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit have all been in perfect companionship and unity. And Jesus then takes on flesh to dwell among us and exchanges that continuous companionship with the other members of the Godhead for a companionship with us. The care of a mother, the fellowship of a family, the life of a human. And he did that for you and for me. It was for the glory set before him on the other side of the cross that glory being our salvation, the reconciliation that we have with God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It was for the glory set before him that Jesus endured, not just the cross, but a human life as well. Incredible exchange. C.S. Lewis would call it the grand miracle. Um, We call it Christmas. And so when you think about the exchange that God makes for you, exchanging the glory of heaven for the reality of a human life, condescending to take on human flesh, um, when you think about what it says in the book of Philippians about that, right? When you think about who Christ is and what he has done, and when you think about... um, where he is right now and what he's doing for you right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you, keeping watch care over us, rejoicing every time someone comes to faith, collecting every tear that falls, awaiting the day, that God the Father will say, 
The fullness of time has come. Time is now full. Go get them. Go get them. Bring them home. Jesus is coming again. And so while we celebrate his first advent, while we celebrate his birth, while we celebrate all of the characters and the stories in the season of light, let us be preparing our hearts and minds for his second coming, the second advent. Jesus Christ is coming again, not as a baby in a manger, not as one laid low, but literally one riding high, literally coming to judge the living and the dead. Christ the King. To him, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you say, ah, I long to live in that day. Well, let's live in this day knowing the knowledge of who he is, and let us bow low today to draw near to him even as he draws near to us. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.